Well, today we're still in our series, Sit, Walk, and Stand, and we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And the title of the teaching today is Christ the Wall Breaker. And we're going to look a little bit about that. But Paul wrote about this new relationship that we have with God through his grace. And that now Paul is going to tell us about a new relationship that we have with one another. A new relationship within the church. A new fellowship in God's church. So as we get ready to start, I'll give you a chance to get to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. But it starts off with the words, therefore, remember. How many of you took geometry in school? Anybody? Does anybody took geometry in school? A few of you, right? Well, your teacher might have used this symbol. I have it up here. And this is called the therefore sign. Therefore, and Paul is saying that this part of Scripture, it's there for a reason. And Paul's saying there's a logical argument, there's proof, or there's a conclusion to what he's been saying. And he wants us to be very clear about that, that God has redeemed us and that we have a new relationship with him. And our identity is in Christ and that we're sitting with Christ in these heavenly realms. And therefore, we have a new relationship with one another as well within the church. It's a new life, a new fellowship in God's church. We're all saved by grace. Individually, we're saved by, from God's wrath. And we're invited into a new life with God. And now we're going to see that Jesus saved us from something, but he also saves us to something. And we're going to see what that is. And this new life that Christ creates, a wholeness, a brotherhood among his people within the church. So if you have your Bibles, we'll open them up to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And it says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcisions, which is done by the body of human hands. So we're going to talk a little bit more about circumcision. We've been talking about that a little bit in Galatians and Romans, but we're going to talk a little bit about that. But what we're talking about is these barriers. These were man-made barriers. For centuries, the Jewish people had looked down on the Gentiles because they were uncircumcised. These pious Jews, the ones that were circumcised, they were very religious and very devoted to what they were doing. And what they were doing is they were calling the uncircumcised, they were unclean. And they would call them names. They would call them, they would say they were like dogs. There was name calling going on. And they were viewing the Gentiles as outsiders and being separated from other people. They had an attitude that God never intended any of us to have or them to display because the Jews thought that they had peace with God, but not the Gentiles. But Romans tells us that we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we all need that peace from God. The fact that the Jews had received this physical mark of the covenant made by human hands was no proof that a man had faith at all. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. There's no value at all in that. What it meant is he's saying this means nothing. What means something is to receive Jesus Christ into your life. 
and to have a spiritual circumcision made without hands. And Colossians 2.11 says this, In him you who are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. The only thing that counts is our faith that expresses itself in love. That's it. And that's by receiving Jesus Christ into our life. And now in verse 12, Paul goes on to describe the condition of the Gentiles. They were separated from God. They had no relationship with God, but most of all, they had no hope. They had no hope at all. They were without, and we're going to see exactly what they were without. Paul's going to explain it. And then Paul turns to the reconciliation, the work of Jesus Christ for each and every one of us. Paul says, remember your past. Remember where you were. Remember what God saved you from. And what he saved you from was separation from God for all of eternity. That's what he saved you from. In verse 12, it says this. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. Paul is pointing out the position and the condition of the Gentile world apart from Christ. He's pointing this out. He's saying, now we're going to move forward, but remember your past as we move forward. And remember that our past does not define our future in Christ. Who we were on our worst day, on our worst day when we think nobody could love us, Jesus loves us, each and every one of us. Don't let your past define your future. And in this part of Scripture, the best part of the Scripture, that can, the word that describes these Gentiles is the word is without. They were without. They were on the outside looking in to all these things. And the Gentiles were without this. I have it on the screen. They were without Christ, without citizenship, without a covenant. They were without hope, and they were also without God. For people who aren't following Jesus, Paul's going to highlight this, and he's going to say this. You have a major problem here. You have a very big problem. You are separated from God. You are dead in your sins, and you are separated from his people and your citizenship, and you also don't have the promises of God. And remember, we live by the word of God. We live by the promises of God, not the explanations of the world. And the biggest possible problem anyone could have is to be separated without God. But Jesus came to earth to solve that problem. Receiving Jesus being in Christ, our salvation being part of the family of God, our salvation. Now, the Ephesians, if you remember, they worshiped this goddess Diana before they heard the gospel. They were without Christ. And God called the Jews, he called them and he built them into a nation. He gave them laws, he gave them blessings. But this was not true for the Gentiles. They didn't have this. They were without a citizenship. They were also called aliens and strangers. Historians tell us that there was a great cloud of hopelessness that covered the ancient world. The Gentiles had no hope. That's no place to be, is it? To be without hope? And our hope is in Jesus Christ. 
And the Gentiles were strangers. They were outside of Christ with no hope. Paul says this when he was in Athens. He discovered this in Acts 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 16. He says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. They were separated and without God. They had no hope. Someone said in that day it was easier to find a God, a small g, than a man in Athens. They had that many idols. And the Jews never let them forget this. They never did. It was worth noting, though, that the Gentile spiritual condition was not caused by God. It was caused by their own willfulness to sin. They chose to sin. And when we choose to sin, there are consequences to that sin. But they were without God, they were without hope, but they were also without a covenant. No God and no hope. What a place to be. And it's important, I want to make it clear what a covenant is. A covenant is like a contract, and, and it's, it's about our faith. It's not about the faith that we have in us, it's about the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, several years ago, I got a new Bible, and I was looking through the concordance, and I was looking for a place to locate um, a reference on the covenant. And much to my surprise, there was nothing listed there. It just wasn't there. But this concordance had words like figs, doorposts, stuff like that was all over it, but it didn't have the covenant. But throughout the Bible, God is described as entering into covenants. God is described repeatedly as a God who makes covenants. One of the best covenants or the best illustrations is a covenant is, is marriage. When it comes to marriage, I still remember 45 years ago, standing next to my wife, Cindy, and promising her that she could forsake all others because I was going to be with her from that moment on. That was my promise to her. And this covenant, a covenant involves a promise or a commitment. And this gives the person the basis for confidence and hope. It's not necessarily about the promise itself, but who makes the promise to us. And God is the one making those promises to us. It's God's covenant to us. It's the assurance that God is trustworthy and that he is always faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. And God can be counted on. And Paul's saying there here that you need this assurance. You need to be a part of God's family, a covenant family the people that have confidence in God's faithfulness and his promise, and that you'll have hope. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is this next one. It's Jeremiah 29, 11, and it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That is an amazing verse because it's not singular. It's not a plan that I have for you. It's plans. He has plans for each and every one of us. The riches that we have in Christ, it's God's grace united with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity. It's the hope that we have in that. 
And when he says, I want to prosper you, it doesn't mean that he's going to make you wealthy here on earth financially. What it means is that we have the riches in Jesus Christ, which are infinite and they're abundant and they're available to all of us, everyone who receives Jesus into their life. And that promise, that hope that we will spend eternity in heaven. And I've said this before. Remember, when we get to heaven, the prize is not heaven. The prize is Jesus. It's being in his presence. That's the hope that we have, all of us, who have received Jesus Christ into our lives. Now, as we go on to these next part of scriptures, I want you to notice something. God's going to show some blessings that he gives to them, and he gives to us as well. In verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. This speaks of God's graciousness. It speaks of his grace and his mercy on the intervention on behalf of every lost sinner. And that's the whole world. Everyone. God's blessings. We all need to be reconciled to God. Before Christ's coming, the Gentiles and the Jews were apart from each other. Both could be guilty of spiritual pride. The Jews, for thinking of their faith and their traditions, elevated them above everyone else. And for the Gentiles, for trusting in their achievements, their power, and their positions. Does anybody know anybody like that? I think we all do. The point here is spiritual pride blinds us to our own faults. It magnifies the faults of others. You know, the Pharisees, they would show that. The Pharisees would pray daily, Oh God, I give thanks to you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. Be careful not to become proud of our salvation. We boast in Christ, in Christ alone. Instead, humbly thank God for what he's done, for his grace and his mercy in our lives, and encourage others who might be struggling in their faith as well. Remember, the Jews considered Gentiles beyond God's saving grace and his power, and therefore they were without hope. They were a mess. You know what the nice thing about being a mess is? God loves messy people. He loves every bit of our mess, each and every one of us. And we can be like that. We can be a mess. We're messy people. You know, one time in counseling, I had this couple, and I've had several couples, but they were talking about a certain situation in their marriage, and they were saying, you know, our marriage is falling apart. Our life is just a mess. The wife, the husband said, my wife doesn't understand me. And the, and the wife said, my husband's an idiot. And they were just a mess. And they said, well, what, what do I do? And I listened to their story for a little bit, and then I just said, I don't have a clue. I I don't have a clue what to do but God. But God knows what to do. Somehow God is going to break through for you. I don't know when, and I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know God will break down those walls and those barriers. I like to call it silo-busting. He's going to break down those walls for each and every one of us because God is a God of reconciliation. 
for all of us in our marriages, in our lives to Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Amen? How amazing is our God. No one is beyond God's grace, his love, and his mercy. And it's only because of the blood of Jesus that our relationship with God has changed and our relationship with other people have changed as well. The gospel changes us. It changes how we relate to God and it changes how we relate to other people. The blessings that we have is having a right relationship with God, which gives us a right relationship with other people. You know, when it comes to counseling, one of the first things we ask people is, how's your relationship with God? And most of the time they say, well, not real good. I don't have a relationship with God. And that's the first thing we want to work on. Because when your relationship with God is right, all your other relationships will fall into place. But the relationship with God is first. I remember the first time that I told my wife Cindy that. She got upset with me because she said, so I'm not number one in your life? No, you're not. You are not. God's number one in my life. Because with God being number one in my life, he makes my relationship with you right. And it's the same thing with all of us within the church. When our relationship was right with God, all our other relationships fall into place. It's a unity that we have together. He's our peace. Now in verse 14, we're going to see another thing. It says this in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law which it commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, becoming one in Christ. That's our peace. And Paul is using this powerful image to describe this oneness and this unity that we have, this new creation as being one, the body of Christ within the church. These dividing walls of hostility have been broken down for each and every one of us. The image of Christ being this wall breaker is so important to each and every one of us. Because in our world, there are so many people that are isolated by different walls and different barriers of different kinds. Even in the church, we have those divisions. It comes from possibly language, economical, economic and social status, just to mention a few. But even with these differences that we have, we have unity and peace because of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be in a right relationship with God is to be in a right relationship and the right fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ is still in the business of breaking down walls today. It's about unity. It's about one family. The dividing walls have been destroyed. He's taken care of those barriers. There's no more hostility. 
And it changes the way that we view other people in the church and in our lives. Christ ended this angry resentment between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. Christ died to abolish the whole system of the Jewish law. And then he took these two people and he made them one, one humanity, a new man in Christ. And that's us, the body of Christ. The point I like to make is all believers are united together and we become one in Christ. He is our peace and he is our hope. And then in verse 16, it says, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You know, by Jesus' death on the cross, we have this powerful truth that Christ made us all new in him. He took two that were far away and brought them near to him. We were all reconciled to Christ. We were all made right. We all have the righteousness of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus now can have access to God through Jesus Christ. Every lost sinner can have access to God by receiving Jesus into their lives. By that making us one, he has set us free, and now he is what has been split, he has made whole, and he has healed each and every one of us. And this brings us peace. There are many barriers that can divide other Christians, our age, appearance, intellect, sometimes our theology does as well. But Jesus has broke down all those barriers, all those barriers that people Build. And why was Jesus breaking down these barriers? Because he was breaking down the division between his people. There are no divisions between his people. When we believe in Christ, we're one in unity with him. Because all these walls have been removed. The walls of pride. The walls of prejudice. We all know people that are prideful, self-righteous, don't we? My way is the best way. I'm not teachable, that self-righteousness that people have. Well, our righteousness comes in Jesus Christ through his blood. And we can have real unity with people who are not like us because of that. This is true reconciliation in Christ. Only Christ breaks down the walls of prejudice and reconciles all believers to God and unites us in one body. You know, as Christians, being one, the hostility is gone, and we have peace in this new life that we have with Jesus Christ because we have one Lord. And then verse 17, it says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. What this is, this is the greatest peace mission ever. This is the greatest peace mission ever because Jesus came on a peace mission to unify the church, bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together, bringing all of us together as well. Remember, the Gentiles were far away. They knew little about God. And some people know very little about God as well. And since no one can save themselves by their good deeds or their works or the knowledge or just being sincere, Everyone needs to hear about the salvation that's available through Jesus Christ. 
And now everyone, near and far, was free to come to, Christ, come to our, our Lord and Savior through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ is this oneness in the church, a oneness with God, and it's a oneness with each and every one of us together. Paul, in effect, is urging the church to be the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. And I have part of that on the screen. It says this in John 17, 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And when you look at the rest of that prayer, Jesus was praying for him to be glorified. He was praying for his disciples, but he was also praying for future believers. He was praying for each and every one of us. He was praying that for us that we would be a church that's united and unified in Christ today. Jesus unified us as one, a building that is united a church that is united. Jesus was praying for the disciples that they might be one as he and the Father are one as well. And all this was possible because the Jews and Gentiles alike now have access to God the Father by the Holy Spirit. Everything in the old creation was falling apart because of sin, but in this new creation there is unity because of the righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, these remaining verses in this chapter go on to develop the image of the church or the temple. In verse 19, it says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people and also members of his household. Amen? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself, Jesus, as the chief cornerstone. And this passage talks about Jesus building something. He tore down the barriers of these two groups. He tore down the barriers of hostility between them. But now he's building something new. Jesus calls us from one thing, but he brings us to another. And he's building something new, a new humanity, a new group, a new temple. And what does it mean to build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? Because what they've done is they've laid God's word on our hearts, each and every one of us. It means that the church is not built on modern ideas or the way modern culture is, but rather on spiritual heritage given to us by the early apostles of the Christian church. We live by God's word, not the explanations of the world. And this foundation of the apostles and the prophets, I wonder if Paul was aware of Jesus' words at Caesarea in Matthew 16, 18. It says this, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter was representing the apostles. He was representing the church. You know, the other night, <clears throat> Friday night, I came in here because I had some stuff to do. I had a little bit of work to do. And the ladies were here in the back, and they were, they were playing bunko. Do you ladies, anybody know what bunko is, right? Well, I want to encourage you to come out. The ladies have a bunko night. I think it's June the 16th. They're going to be playing. But what they were doing is there were women that didn't know how to play bunko. 
So they had an opportunity that they were practicing, that they had one lady that knew how to play. And she was going to show them. So instead of going to YouTube and looking up all these things, they went right to the source of somebody that knew exactly what was going on to teach them how to play so they could teach others. And by the way, the women always have the best food at their events. Just to let you know, I got to taste some of this out. I I won't go on with that, but it was really good. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying that Listen to the apostles. They were taught the word of God straight from Jesus. They went straight to the source. Don't listen to what the world's saying. Listen to what they're saying because Jesus laid that foundation through them. They learned it from our Lord himself. And Paul is emphasizing the unifying work of Jesus as he brings us to be one in Christ giving us this picture of unity within the church, within the body. Both made one, the family of God. One new man, two into one. One body, the church. And now one spirit. And Christ's church will live forever. Amen? And Christ being that cornerstone, or yet the keystone. He's the keystone. He's the great stone together at the pinnacle of the arch, which locks all the other stones together and makes us all one in Christ. That's done through Jesus. The Holy Spirit builds his church by taking dead stones out of the pit of sin and giving them life and setting them lovingly into God's church. Amen? Each and every one of us. The church building is called God's house, but there's an important truth that we all think, I think we all know. The church are the people. The church is not this building. It's God's people. It's about the people, not about the steeple. And Paul is making this very clear, that the Holy Spirit lives in each and every one of us. And and the Holy Spirit shows himself to the world through us and through the church. And the world is watching. They're watching everything that we do. And church, we have to be a church that looks like Jesus Christ. We have to show love. We have to show compassion to a lost and hurting world. People can see that God's love and that Christ is Lord of our lives when we live in harmony with each other according to God's word. In John 13, 35, it says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And what a great privilege it is for all of us to be a part of God's eternal program. We're citizens in God's kingdom. We're members of his household, doing good to all, loving our brothers and sisters, encouraging them on to do good things. But the best thing we can do, remember we talked about those happy feet, right? And we have happy feet because we're spreading the gospel. We're bringing the good news to a world that is lost and that is hurting and has no hope. And we have that hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. And we have those happy feet that bring that good news. And that should bring us joy each and every day as we get to tell people about Jesus Christ. 
And then in verse 21, it says this, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And what's Jesus building? He's building a temple inside of us that the Holy Spirit lives in, that God dwells with us. The apostles set the foundation being the stones, joining everyone together, these living stones, so that God has a place to dwell through his Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. In Genesis, we know that God walked with his people. And then in Exodus, he dwelt with his people in the tabernacles until Israel sinned and his glory departed. And then God in 1 Kings, it says that he dwelt in the temples, but then they sinned again and his glory departed. But then the next place that God was going to dwell was in the body of Christ. God dwells in the body of Christ. In John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth, which then men took and nailed to the cross. But through his Spirit, God dwells in his church, and the church is his people. We are the temple of God. God does not dwell in man-made temples, including this building God dwells in each and every one of us through his Holy Spirit. And God dwells in the hearts of those who have trusted and received Jesus Christ into their lives. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us, and we are his temples. You know, Jesus never called any of us to be a Lone Ranger Christian. The walls have been broken down that separate us, and no longer do we have any excuses not to have a relationship with God. We connect with God and we connect with other people. We connect with God by receiving Jesus Christ into our lives, being the light and the love into a dark world, being one, being one family. The walls have been broken down. There's no more hostility. And this changes the way we view and we act towards other people. We act lovingly with compassion and encouragement to them. We're called into being one family in Christ, to have a relationship with Jesus. We don't let our past define who we are in Christ. We look to the future and that hope that we have. You know, they were without hope. The Gentiles, they were separated from God. And we know what his promise is. In John 3.16, this is probably the most popular verse, but I want to read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The meaning of John 3.16 is very simple and it's very clear. Jesus died for all of our sins, each and every one of us. And God's promise his covenant to us, this wonderful benefit that we receive by when we receive Jesus Christ into our life is everlasting life with him in heaven. And no one is beyond God's grace, his love, and his mercy because Christ still breaks down those walls today. And I want to give you an opportunity today if 
you've never received that hope or you have no hope. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you feel like you're on the outside. You're without. You're without that Christ, without Christ, without hope for the future. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to receive Jesus into your life, to receive that peace that comes along with that. So if you would, if you just bow your heads, And if that's you and you want to receive Jesus for the first time and you want to have that hope of a future knowing that you're going to be in heaven or if you've just backslidden and your relationship with God is not right and your relationship with other people is not right and you want to receive that peace this morning, just raise your hand. Yes, yes, thank you. God sees you. Yes. I'll give you about 10 more seconds. God sees you. Yes, thank you. Receive that peace for the first time or a renewed peace that we have in Christ. You pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I repent of my sins and I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose from the dead, and that he conquered the grave. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to have hope. I want to have peace. And I want to have a relationship with you. But most of all, I want to have a relationship with other people in your church. I want to be a part of God's family. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for coming into my life and my heart today. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.